We're back with another episode of Ben Shun Talks Shit, and I am here today with Francis Schumach, who is the founder of Abel, an amazing all-natural fragrance company, natural perfume company, who we had the incredible opportunity to meet in person in uh, New York City recently. And we did some collaborations with Ben Shun. And hearing your story was so incredible because you come from a totally different background than the beauty industry and learning about you in the brief time that we got to connect. I was very excited to have you on the podcast. So I'd love to pass the mic on over to you so you can tell anybody who doesn't know you or doesn't know Abel who you are and what you're up to. Yeah. Hi. Thank you, Desiree. And it's uh, such a pleasure to be in this conversation with you. I'm a big fan of your work and see so much synergy um, in the energy you're putting out into the world with what we're trying to do at Abel as well. My background, as you say, was winemaking. So I actually grew up on a farm um, here in New Zealand. My mum was a yoga teacher. So I had this very kind of natural, holistic upbringing, lots of siblings. And about 13 years Years ago, my husband and I, we moved to Amsterdam from New Zealand and with really kind of the desire, like New Zealand's wonderful. I, I love it. Um, part of the beauty is in the isolation, I think. But in my late 20s, I just wanted to move to Europe and be amongst, you know, everything that's going on in the world. Um, and so we moved up to Amsterdam. I knew that I was putting the wine industry behind me for a time. Um, nobody moves to Amsterdam for the wine. <laughs> the Dutch are much more of a beer culture. And yeah, not long after moving up there, I really started to fall in love with this world of kind of emerging indie perfume houses and perfume brands um, and at the same time just started looking for a natural ethical brand in that space and couldn't find one so that was really the start of the Abel journey it happened very organically um, I'm not a perfume person per se I love the olfactory world and yeah that was 10 years ago we launched so it's been an amazing journey since. It's so interesting hearing you coming from the wine background because it's such a contrast, yet it's it's so identical. Like you said, it's it's about mastery in a way. It's about really knowing the ingredients, knowing how things work. So how did you get into the wine industry? Just how I do a lot of things, to be mm -hmm. honest. Something sparks my interest um, and I, I just follow that. And so growing up, I've always loved that intersection of art and science. I was always going to be an architect. So from like the age of about six or seven until like my final months at school. And then I watched this documentary about wine and I was already enrolled at architecture school and something about it just really spoke to me at the time. Like I think it's the you know, coming from a farm and watching nature's cycle and really feeling like what a beautiful way to kind of celebrate like what the earth has to offer, you know, like you really as a winemaker, you're really like a caretaker of kind of um, nature's produce. Let's say turning that into something emotional um, and this kind of beautiful art form. So, yeah, I just changed my plans a month before leaving school and followed that whim. And it was probably a little bit the same with the perfume, you know. I just had that same, I remember a moment when I was in this little gallery in Antwerp 
and there was one perfume house and one sculptor and one um, fashion house under this kind of one roof. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, maybe this is something I should do. So, yeah, I'm quite a big believer in just following that kind of gut or soul or whatever the calling is. Yeah. That's really inspiring for a lot of people to hear because we are definitely coming out of this time where you had to do one thing for your whole life, you know, where yeah. you picked one thing and that was it. And I relate to your story a lot because I was very similar and my parents were like, yeah. what is happening? I would just get inspired by something. I moved to New York to work in the fashion industry and then I got into yoga and meditation and then I was interested in acupuncture and Chinese medicine. I know, your journey is amazing. And it's similar to yours. It was just like something sparked my interest and I have to follow it. It's something that is probably similar to you where you just feel this urge to follow it. There's um, a lot in human design that talks about different types and people And it sounds like we might be the same type where you get lit up by something and that's actually our purpose is to follow all of those little things. And I love hearing your version of it because it's so unique. I had no idea you went to architecture school. No, well, I never started. Oh, never started. <laughs> I was enrolled. I never, I never got there. So I was enrolled <laughs> and then I um, switched universities basically and, and plans, but It's also not, um, but I'd come from, you know, like in my final year at school, I was studying art and physics and all of the things that you need to study to do architecture. And when I went to uh, my first year of viticulture and enology is what I started. And it was like a full year of biology and chemistry and, you know, like completely different um, kind of similarities, but completely different. But um Yeah, I think it's also not that like you let one dream go necessarily. I really feel like each of these things, it's just things you keep putting in your kind of backpack as you go through life, right? Like there's so much of um, the winemaking journey that's a really big, you know, really informs what we've done with Abel as well. So I do, and who knows, maybe I end up back there. It's not like you leave your kind of fashion world behind. It will inform the way that you are doing your work now, Yeah, I don't know. I totally agree. We've got this incredible kind of path we can follow. It's such a beautiful time yeah. to be able to do that and such a privilege. The way that I really, because I felt like a failure for so long. I thought, I don't, I don't follow through with anything, that I'm never going to be good at something because I just would lose interest. Isn't it? And we hard on ourselves. It's so painful to hear you say that, I think. We're so hard on ourselves. We're so hard on ourselves. And no one really enforce that on me you know it wasn't like my parents my parents were really just like pick something you know they were very supportive they were just like pick something and make money basically they wanted to see me financially secure you know and because they both came from not having any money you know so for them yeah. it was really important to try to make a career for yourself if you can or at least to just get on your feet because I wasn't for a really long time And I think I, the failure part for me was more from, I think, the rise of social media, to be honest, and comparing myself and other people and timelines. And once I stopped doing that, it was really permission giving to myself and learning about things like human design. And once I started doing Ben Shen and it really 
developed into what it was from the creative, from the this, from the that. It was like all the things that I collected over the years just became, it was everything I needed to collect in order to do what I'm doing now. And then that might also even pivot like you at one point. It's important, I think. Absolutely. And I think um, maybe thought is changing, but I think definitely there was that linear life path that we probably grew up with, especially as children, I think. I see even with, I've got two sons, um, nine and seven. I see now with the way that they're learning even, they're not learning in this linear way that we did. You know, it's so much, at least in New Zealand, it's so much more explorative, so much more creativity involved. And I think I really see that as a challenge for me and for my, you know, like if I can keep up with this kind of new way of approaching life, isn't that wonderful? My boyfriend went to a Montessori school, which I don't know a lot about, but he said it was the best thing that he ever did because it was a lot of freedom and creativity and it was just a very different experience. And I think that the world is starting to kind of come to, maybe not the whole world, but a lot of people are coming to that the way that we learned in sort of the industrial revolution that was, you know, educating people in order to become workers and now it's just people it's a totally different landscape and we we don't have time to get into all of that but yeah he always said that that was such a different experience for him and I think it was interesting because when I was growing up similar I'm sure you're a very creative person based off of what I know of you and I think creative people especially we don't fit into the box that other people fit into so it is important for us to follow all these little signs and paths. And a lot of people come and ask me, you know, with Benchan, well, I want to do this and I don't know, should I do that? And I don't want to, like, should I leave my job? And I'm like, well, you don't have to leave your job to jump all the way in and explore something. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I, even that notion of a job, I think might be changing. You know, that you have one job, and I see it with younger people um, in our team at Abel. It's not that, like, you have a job and you have one career. Actually, they have all these kinds of amazing, you know, we would call them side hustles, let's say, but, like, all of these different dimensions to their daily life that I think, yeah, you can follow these paths in, in, in kind of all kinds of capacities. Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous about where I'm at in my life right now because my brain keeps going, neuroscience. And I'm like, no, we did a seven-year medical school program. We are not doing that again. <laughs> We're not going down that route yeah, right now. interesting. It's so polar. I do think it's important to listen, right, as well. Because it may not be saying change everything, but it might be saying change one thing. Or It's interesting because I really... Learning the Western medicine side of school was very hard for me coming from a creative background and learning anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, all those things were really intimidating for me. And I was young. I was like 23, 24. And I was really sick too at the time with autoimmune and all kinds of things. So I didn't really have the presence. So it is a funny reminder talking to you now that maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but who knows where like 10 years from now is going to take me, you know, one day winemaker, the next day fragrance, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How did you get started with, with Abel then? So how did you make that transition? Yeah. So look, it was, and this is also, I'm a true believer in sometimes that like the world conspires, right? And so I started out in winemaking and within a few years, I kind of found myself transitioning more into like marketing side of things um, because I love storytelling. I love the, you know, and I found in the winemaking side, I was 
you know, you think it's going to be super creative, but at least when you're starting out, it was I was spending whole days in the laboratory, for example, which, you know, and so for me, I'd kind of already um, transitioned a little bit more into the kind of marketing business side of things. And the job I took when I arrived in Amsterdam, um, it was for a Dutch startup and it was looking after their marketing for the UK. I kind of went into it thinking, yeah, I've really enjoyed marketing and, you know, digital and things like this. Um, and I realized really quickly that I thought I liked marketing, but I liked marketing wine <laughs> because it was something I was, you know, intimately passionate and knowledgeable about. And it didn't really feel like marketing, to be perfectly honest. And so I was bored in my day to day work, uninspired. Um, and at the same time, and so that's where it's like the universe threw me like this kind of, you know, I had this um, creative itch let's say, and at the same time um, discovered this this kind of world of artisan perfume and this, like, you know, lack of natural within that. If I had have landed in a job that I loved, I probably would never have started Arbel, you know? And so it was that kind of tension of, like, oh, I'm a little bit bored and uninspired, and so I was looking for inspiration outside of work let's say. So yeah, I, I, I thought I couldn't be the only one who was looking for a natural scent. <laughs> I think even now I probably look back and I was a little bit early. So with Arbo, we're 10 years, we were 10 years, our celebrations just a few weeks back, which was a really kind of momentous time. But 10 years ago, I think we probably were a little bit early, actually, you know, when we first started Selling the perfume, creating the perfume, um, we almost didn't talk about the fact it was natural because people, you know, there was that kind of crunchy green granola vibe around natural perfume at the time. It was like, oh, if it's natural, it won't be chic or modern. Um, and so the kind of messaging at the time was almost like, here's this beautiful product made by master perfumers every attention to detail in the design and then like oh by the way it's natural <laughs> you know so we're almost just kind of trying to thread that in but definitely in the 10 years since I almost couldn't believe it because the packaging is so beautiful yes. and it smells so amazing you know it I worked in the natural beauty industry for, for a while too. And I had a skincare line, very small, very in comparison. Whenever I get natural things, even as someone who cares about natural beauty and cares about, I'm still such a uh, lover of aesthetic. I'm lover, like I wanted to look good. I wanted to look and feel luxury. Of course. Yeah. And so that was always for me, like perfume is a luxury. Um, and when I first started, so genuinely, I was just looking for a natural perfume. And if I, you went into like a high-end beauty store kind of 12 years ago and asked for a natural perfume, you almost got like, oh, we don't sell natural perfume. You know, you need to go to the organic supermarket if you want that. And I was like, but I don't want to buy my perfume from a supermarket. I want to buy it from somewhere beautiful. And I want it to feel like this incredible... Luxury is never quite the right word. I have like tension around. Like ritual, maybe. Yeah, it's ritual and it's joy. And it's, you know, you buy perfume and you wear perfume because it brings joy to your life. You know, it's not a functional thing. It's like, it's a beautiful thing. And, and I didn't want to get that at the supermarket. And so that was really that kind of tension also again you know is like it's not possible you can't do it um and I think those kinds of I always respond really well to like 
things not being possible, you know, the challenge of like, actually, I'm going to prove you wrong, you know. Um, and I think throughout our journey, the like constraints have always proven to be, you know, opportunities. So we have a reduced palette, but we just have to be way more clever with it. And it's forced us to, because the natural palette is so small, it's it really meant that we were one of the first brands in the world to really start working with biotech very early on. Um, so we work with a lot of the latest natural science and things like that because we're really driven. We have to find alternatives, you know. We can't just rely on fossil fuels, which is, you know, where synthetic ingredients come from um, and make up you know, more than 99% of the ingredients used in the perfume world, they just, you know, they're from petrochemicals basically. And because we I made a, a very strict decision early on that we wouldn't work with any. So we're one of the very few brands that are 100% plant-derived, plant slash fungi slash yeast. So like we really, that's how we define natural. That forced us really early on to be like, okay, but then we need to be pushing at the boundaries all the time to deliver what, you know, the experience that customers want. So again, I think because you can't be lazy and kind of rely on, you know, the way things are always done and, you know, all of these kind of ingredients and tools and things out there, it does, it forces creativity, which I think is really beautiful. There is one quote that I heard somewhere, don't remember who said it, but uh, challenge begets creativity. Yes, I, I 100% that rings really true for me and I know I even you recognize in your personal life as well I think right mm-hmm. it's the we talk about my husband and I talk a lot about the the lobster shell I don't know if you've heard this analogy is that a lobster um, in order to grow a lobster has to break its shell basically and in that moment before the shell breaks you're really pushing out against that shell you have to the kind of force of the growth can be painful and it's stressful but then once you've broken that shell only then can you emerge out the other side and so we'll quite often you know it'll be like oh, I'm in a bit of a lobster shell moment you know and you recognize and you're like I love this that. is fucking hard you know this is difficult I'm finding it stressful but that has to be the case in order to emerge out the other side. So I was just talking to a friend about that yesterday, about whenever you do a coaching course, um, they talk about stretching. You know, they do like exercises to stretch you, to put you outside of your comfort zone. One of them was so silly. This one seminar I did, it was like a three-day seminar. And they gave us one, it was a one day we had, it was like a hundred people in the program. You were assigned to, you know, a group and you had to do this dance and this routine and sing. And it was like beyond, you know, anything. And you had to do it, you know. And I just was so uncomfortable. I was so nervous and it was such a silly way to practice getting outside of your comfort zone. But in the end, it was funny and silly and stupid and not as scary as I imagined it to be. And, you know, and it was fun. Everybody was cheering each other on in the end. But I think that, you know, we were talking about this because it's so often we don't push ourselves outside of our comfort zone because it's uncomfortable. We've gotten comfortable in the comfort zone, even if the comfort zone is uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah, it, I think about it a lot as well, like with the children. Actually, I read a really nice quote um, this week and it was like, humans are hardwired to make mistakes and failures. You know, like that is how we learn and it's how we grow. And if we're not allowing ourselves to make mistakes 
in that sense, we have to be taking risks, right? Mm. And to take risks, we have to be outside our comfort zone. Um, and I think you sometimes think, oh, no, we should be cushioned. And the, the link to the children is that, you know, like if you protect a child and you cushion a child too much, you know, you're not allowing it to make those mistakes. And if it's not making the mistakes, it's not growing, you know, and I mm -hmm. think that's a big part of the business journey, right? <laughs> making mistakes. Yeah. And 10 years is a long time because 10 years, you know, we're doing this business course for the first time in Benchon because I felt that I didn't want to design a course that was launch a marketing strategy or, you know, how to build your business on Squarespace or whatever, because I felt like there's so much of that already. But what I found was missing was there were people, there were, what was missing and what people were looking for is how to cultivate that kind of mindset where it's like mistakes are good. Taking leaps yes. are good. This is all learning experiences. It's scary, but it's important. And it's so refreshing to hear someone who has built a beautiful company like Apple say that we have to be doing our lobster shell moment and we have to be making mistakes. Because, you know, I had a um, talk with someone recently about failure. And it was so funny because I couldn't think of the last time that I had a failure because I'm sure you're probably similar where it's not really a failure. It's really just a pivot, right? Or an opportunity for growth. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's reframing that failure into what was the learning. Yeah, totally. That's so interesting. I think the dialogue around um, business and founders is changing a little bit, and I'm really happy for that because I do think for a while there it was very – it was made a little bit too aspirational <laughs> to, to have your own business and to be a founder, and it was almost glorified a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I, I personally have noticed in New Zealand, I think also um, internationally, just that dialogue changing a little bit, that actually it's okay to make mistakes, don't put people on pedestals, don't pretend it's easy, it's not. I think it's the, the honesty is really important. Yeah, it's really refreshing because I think that, you know, so many people, myself included, we kind of tend to, especially because of social media, we compare ourselves to other people and what might be someone's year 10 or year five, you know, it could be someone's day one. And then they just compare and they, you know, I've had so many people say, I want to launch a business. And I'm like, great, amazing. Are you ready to like scout, get your knees dirty and scratch yourself up? And, you know, <laughs> I love that you're noticing this because I think that it's so important that it needs to not be so glorified. Yes, it's amazing. It's fulfilling. It's incredible. And equally, it's challenging and it's really complicated and it's tough, but then those kind of like way out. And then at the same time, it's, you are your business too. So how are we taking care of ourselves while we're growing our baby basically? Yeah, I spoke at a female founders conference a couple of months back and it was just incredible, the atmosphere. And there were about a thousand people in attendance and maybe 10 or 12 speakers. Um, every speech was, it is hard. You know, it's it's harder than what you would expect. Um, harder than hard, you know, but it's in the difficulty that the rewards come, you know, and, and that's why you do it. And the personal growth and the learning through the challenges are what makes it worthwhile. And that if it was easy, it wouldn't be satisfying. You know, that's really, I think if I look back on my 10-year journey, the things I'm most proud of are the biggest challenges and having come out the other side of them. You're not proud of the easy wins. Do you know what I mean? The stuff that happens kind of easily and sometimes it does. 
it, that's the stuff that you go, oh, yeah. But it was the stuff that you really worked at that I don't know that that's where I really get the sense of satisfaction from. It's so true because I, I'm thinking, you know, whenever I have a tough business moment and we're going through one right now, which we have a, luckily a good one, which is sort of, it feels like yeah. I'm in my lobster shell moment where it's time to like grow <laughs> and change and evolve yeah. because yeah. Um, what we started as was just kind of like throwing an idea out to see who would like it. And then it caught on without a business plan, without a goal, without this, and just kind of evolving as time went on. Mm -hmm. And it needs more structure and strategy in order to go another five years, you know, so that I'm not yes. burning myself out the way I have been. So it's really kind of this uncomfortable moment where I'm like, okay, I'm committed. I'm ready to go for another five years. Yeah. I have no idea what that's going to look like, you know? No. No, no idea. <laughs> and that's okay. It's okay as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's like this moment where something's trying to come through and I'm like, I have no idea what you look like, but just please come through by January 1st, if possible, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, I love that this dialogue is getting bigger and bigger because, you know, it really is when I look back at the last five years, exactly what you said, like those challenging moments, getting through those are the ones that I remember the most. The ones that gave me that level up, that energetic level up where I went oh, wow, I can accomplish things now. I am proud of myself and I can actually do things that I didn't think that I could do, you know, and you learn about yourself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's in surviving those challenges that you equip yourself with the tools to do, the th you know, like you have to, and it's where the lobster is such a good analogy because it's like if the lobster is not growing, it's not pushing that shell out and it's not breaking that shell to emerge. And so, you know, you can't grow as a person or as a business or whatever without the struggle, without the kind of the tension of that growth because it's it's the tools you learn through those hard times that make the, you know, the good times possible basically. It really is what I've realized is those hard times present themselves because there's a prosperity teaching in Kundalini Yoga that's basically like, if the challenge arises, the answer is already arising. So beautiful. Because we live on a polarity planet, because if the challenge arises, the answer to the challenge or the solution is already there. Mm -hmm. We just have to go find it. Yeah. And I always find that every time something challenging arises, it really, it's annoying. I'm not going to like, I don't want us to glorify it because it's no, tough no. and it's hard and it's this. And I don't think we are. You know, I just caught myself getting ready to do that. And it's tough and it's, you know sweat and you're, you're crying and this and that and is it going to work out is it not but then you find the solution and it's that moment I always link it to like I ran a marathon one time a half marathon and it was that moment that I crossed the line I mean I was like crawling on the ground you know mm -hmm. but I did it and that moment was the moment that I the whole 13 miles was for it was for that one yes. tiny moment where you crossed the line yeah I completely agree yeah I ran one once as well. My husband's a big runner. He does, you know, 100-mile races. Um, but I ran a half just so that I could understand. what. Do you know what I mean? It's easy to dismiss things that you don't understand, like, oh, he likes running. But it was the exercise of training for one and doing it that I realized, like, oh, well, this is what he's doing it for. Exactly. It's that feeling of accomplishment, of setting a goal and kind of working your way through it. I love that you were interested in putting yourself in his shoes, literally. I think that that's such a sign of, um, 
I don't know. Like my my boyfriend is very different than I. He's in the music industry and he is obsessed with music. And he grew up in music and he plays music. He plays instruments, you know. I'm 50% deaf. Like I know what I like. <laughs> but, <laughs> and I can hear, you know, but like I didn't grow up in a musical household, you know, like the way that people know about music. It wasn't how I grew up. I'm very fascinated by it. And I love anyone who's masterful at anything, whether it's fragrance or wine or food or music. I love people who have mastery in something. And so we were in Italy recently and we went to a classical music concert. I forget. It was one of the symphonies were in town. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go try this out. We're going to go to the symphony and I'm going to listen to classical music with him. And this is going to be amazing. And I thought it was going to be like a 30 minute performance. It was like two hours long. And I was like, I can't. oh my gosh. Called on all of your meditation. <laughs> classical music is not for me. I think it's so beautiful. But my ears couldn't differentiate between the songs. So it just sounded like one song the whole time. But it was really special to be with him and watch him get so lit up and tearing and happy and this and that. But So back to the fragrance. When, when you first started, what was your, did you think you were going to be going for 10 years or what was the goal when you first started? I did always want it to be a long-term thing. And I think um, coming from the wine industry, which is, you know, there's family vineyards and family wineries and, and that feeling of, you know, you're really cultivating the land. So you, it's almost less of a business and more of kind of, that sounds a bit cheesy, but a vocation kind of, you know, you don't, um, if you plant vines, you don't yield anything for three years, you know? So um, I think I came from that way of thinking um, that this was going to take a long time. Um, We grew very much organically, you know, for most of these years, I had two children during the time, you know, so it's really has been, I never set out to like have an overnight success. And to the conversation earlier, I don't know how many genuine overnight successes there are. <laughs> I always caution people like dig a little bit more and you might find they've been working on this for a decade. <laughs> but yeah, it was always, I did always want to do it for a long time. Um, and I'm so excited about the next 10 years, I have to say. Um, it feels like you can put too much um, emphasis on time for sure, but there feels something important about closing off that 10 year chapter. You and I were talking before about closing off the year as well. I always think it's such a nice reflection moment at the end of the year and then starting the new year. And for me, it feels like that with the business, like that was the first 10 years and I feel like we're entering the next 10 years. So I definitely am excited about what that next 10 years can hold. And I think we've spent a lot of the first 10 years kind of trying to prove to people that you could do natural perfume in a really beautiful, modern, luxury way. And I don't think we need to convince people anymore, which is quite exciting. You know, all of a sudden um, the tides turned there. And so that feels like quite a, a release of the shackles, if that makes sense. And also the biotech and the natural science has has come so far the last couple of years that I, I just think, who knows what we will be doing in 10 years' time, you know? And that's so exciting. I, I find that really exciting to the point about creativity. Like I'm not the perfumer, so I work with master perfumers. There's only around 50 or so in the world. So these people are incredible and they've dedicated, you know, their lives to this craft Isaac and Fanny Altair perfumers are amazing they, they live in Paris um 
love working with them and and it's a very long-term collaborative relationship but because I'm not the perfumer um, my creativity is kind of around that whole what are the products we you know where do we see Arbel and our customers lives going into the next kind of two five ten years and so that's yeah, that's kind of my driver right now, actually. And I've got enough of a team in place um, that a lot of the other kind of cogs are starting to come together. And, you know, there's a little bit of... Remember when I first started out, you felt like there was no momentum. Like if I didn't get behind my desk today, nothing would happen, you know. Whereas it's quite cool these days. It really has a life of its own and there's other people driving forward other parts of the business and yeah I'm actually really excited about like what what is the future of Arbel now and who knows what direction that can take to the to the kind of squiggly line of personal I think businesses are the same yeah I love what you said about it has a life force of its own because I think a lot of people relate to that in terms of you feel that pressure of I need to do something every day. I need to do something every day. I need to be working on it. And I think that it's true in the beginning, the way that I kind of looked at it with Ben Shen was that in the beginning, you're pushing that boulder up the hill. You're pushing the boulder. You're pushing the boulder. Absolutely. It's a very heavy boulder. You're giving it, you're pushing it, pushing, you're building momentum. And if you push it enough, it starts to generate momentum. And then that momentum, it starts to go down the hill. Yeah. And it starts to develop a life force of its own. But then you have the bottom of the hill. So then there <laughs> might be a time when you push the boulder up again. But this time, you know now that you're just giving it energy. Like you have to feed it to give it energy. And then it takes a life of its own. And then you get to cruise control for a little bit. Um, I think that in this time that we live in of do, 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 you know, get 10 million followers, do this, do that. It can feel like so much pressure to continuously pushing the boulder up the hill. I love Seth Godin. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but I really love, yeah, I love him because he's really about find your demographic, find your niche and allow them to be your loyal customers because you can't please everyone. And if you find your demographic and your niche, it's like the path of least resistance and you have the most success that way because it just grows so organically, which sounds like with Abel, it's just been a really nice, steady, organic growth. And it's refreshing for a lot of people to hear because people we're, we're being constantly bombarded on social media with launch your next thing for $10 million yes. and followers. And it's toxic for sure. Totally. I, I, about six times in this conversation, I've wanted to say comparison is the thief of joy. It really <laughs> is. I think. And recognize that what you're seeing of other people's game is not the whole picture as well. And I was just talking to a friend about this, about, you know, she was being, she had people telling her to do this marketing strategy and to do that marketing strategy and to do this price and to do that price. And she asked me, she's like, this is frustrating me. What do you think? I was like, well, I would be the same because you're just over here trying to stay in your lane and figure out what works best for you and how to do it best. And which makes me think of your story with using all natural ingredients, which I'm sure there could have been ways that you could have quote unquote cut corners and just took the easy way and did it this but you were and people probably were like Francis why are you doing this and why are you doing that and do it this way and you just gotta stay in your lane and stick to like what you believe to be true because 
that's what's going to bring you real success, right? Absolutely. And I always come back to, you know, there is no right or wrong. And when faced with a hard choice, you know, what do you put your agency behind, basically? Like, who is the business founder I want to be? What is the business I want to have? And even if you look back, at, you know, down the track and go, oh, it was maybe not the wisest decision you made it for the right reasons and so that's always a bit of a leading force for me is who do I want to be what do I want to put my agency behind Um, and sometimes you know with all the best intentions things don't work out you know and that's also okay and just be honest and transparent with yourself and your community about why that didn't work out and then, then it's not such a big deal either. Yeah, we made a big change last year, or maybe like earlier in this year, where I had this idea to take the theme. So when we first started Benchin, there was no themes because it was just a course. It was a course on creating a vision, setting goals, learning about energetics, how the world, how you know things work, and um, also how your projection works, how you show up in the world, and what prosperity is. But then we started teaching it so many times that it was like, okay, people get this. This is more of like a monthly membership now. And four years later, I started to feel like, oh my gosh, if I have to talk about the energetics and the, this one more time, I'm like, I just couldn't find the inspiration yeah. anymore. So we brought themes in, and that way... I was able to sort of mix it up and start to, you know, bring some fresh life onto it. One month is money, one month is sexuality or sensuality. The next month is personal power. And that was really fun. But then it started to get things mixed up. People were like, wait, what's the vision? You know, like the new people. And then, oh my gosh, okay, we got to clean this up. So I said, okay, we're going to take the themes out. We'll teach the themes separately and we'll do it this and we'll do it that. And it sounded like a great idea. It made sense, you know? Mm. But our numbers went so down. And in my head, I was like, in six months to a year, it's going to get where it's supposed to go. It's going to even out. Yeah. And I kept telling people that. And um, someone said to me, they were like, I think you have to listen to what your audience wants, though. Like, your vision is important and also listening to your audience. And the, everybody wanted the themes to be back in the course. So it was such a hard thing to do because I meant I quote unquote failed. Do you know what I mean? I felt like I failed that that old story, like, oh, you failed came up. And it was in that moment that I felt really grateful to have the resources like learning on mindset and stuff like that. Cause I said, you know what? I didn't fail. That was just an idea I had that didn't work. Let's try something new. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no doubt that a whole bunch of awesome things wouldn't have come out of that as well. Right. And if you hadn't have tried it, you know, you wouldn't be where you are. A hundred percent. It's all part of the journey. Yeah. And I think that that's what a couple of years of practice took me to, because if this was in the beginning, it would have been a whole like, oh my God, I failed and this and probably made a big deal about it and made it a whole thing. And this time I was like, cool. Hey, everyone, that didn't work. So guess what? We're bringing things back in and we can't wait. And everyone was just like, yay, we're so happy. Great. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Our biggest failure moment was about five or six years ago. I was like, we're getting rid of cellophane, you know, like full stop. I don't want cellophane, you know, the plastic wrap. And so after years of researching bioplastic alternatives, we like invested in this strategy, you know, we couldn't find anyone who was willing to, to use them and we couldn't, you know, so it was this whole thing. And we finally had this bioplastic solution no one else was doing it at the time, which is also, that's, I think you fail more when you're leading 
<laughs> and that's also the Arbol journey. So many 100%. things. I'm like, nobody's done this before. So we are, you know, we're, we're trying things. We will fail. Um, and with that cellophane, we rolled it out to like, yes, we've got rid of, you know, and talked to all of our partners and suppliers and like, we're so proud of this. And then four months later, we had, we just had so many problems with it being damaged, it breaking down in ships. It was, we were having to take returns in a way that we'd never had to. So many complaints from customers. Um, and so I did this. I did a journal post to our, our community saying, you know, we tried and we failed, you know, and I was so proud that we were getting plastic out of our supply chain and you all responded so well. And I'm sorry, I've kind of let you down basically. Cause I felt I'm always really strict with, we don't do anything that we don't believe in and don't feel like we've done to the highest quality, you know, to your point about like pressure to launch stuff. Like we only launch a new product um, and our core collection, we take a product out. So we have this like one in one out policy, which is our way of kind of reducing the amount of stuff in the world. And when I failed on the cellophane, I really felt like, oh, people will judge us so harshly and, you know, just what a blowout it felt. Yeah. And we had just this incredible, our community rallied around us and they were like, you didn't even need to tell us that you failed, do you know? And I was like, but of course I would tell you. And they're like, we trust Abel so much more that you've been honest about this journey, you know, and that you tried. The fact that you tried means so much. Um, the fact that you were honest about your failure means so much as well. Um, and so that was a really big learning moment for me was that actually we are all human. <laughs> we are all failing and that perhaps, you know, that in itself is um, just a reason to believe, if that makes sense. And integrity is key, right? It's the most important thing. It's the most, the more you have integrity, that's sort of the leading edge for me and everything we do with Benchon. It's, it's been the North Star for everything I do, you know, and I think that that takes you so far. You know, I think if you didn't, even though your customers were like, you didn't have to tell us, you know, we, we support you anyway, either way, it built trust and they felt like they know you and they trust you more and they're going to follow you wherever. So this conversation has been so incredible and I know so many people are going to benefit from and enjoy and learn from, especially as someone like yourself who has been running a business, also a revolutionary business, creating something new in the industry for the first time. So it's been such a joy to have you. And with our last few minutes, I wanted to see if there's anything else you wanted to leave people with, any last gems or information. I know I put you on the spot. <laughs> No, I don't know. I don't know that I have any last gems. A bit of a mantra for me for a long time has been, you know, will it matter in five years? Um, and this is just, <laughs> I would never say this normally in an interview, but um, it's the direction our kind of conversation has taken. And I think um, when you're so in the weeds and things can feel really overwhelming. And so for me, that's always been, almost a way to keep my sanity, you know, like it's very easy to like, if something still matters in five years time, then okay, that is worth, you know, worth your worry, worth your concern. But it's incredible the amount of things that wake us up in the night or, you know, add kind of tension and anxiety to our day that really in the grand scheme of things actually mean very, very little. I love that. You know, there's so many things that have brought me 
anxiety or or fear or worrying is this going to go wrong or or even when something does go wrong or you said the wrong thing or you you did you you know something you made this change or you did something and I just look back and I'm like a month later two months later it was fine you know it's uncomfortable right now yes sometimes even a day later or to the ones that wake up in the night by the time you awake in the morning yeah <laughs> It really helps. You know, I think that there's been moments where there's been uncomfortable things have happened, conversations with people or things didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And you're like... The classic is replaying a conversation, right? Oh my gosh. You're just like, well, how could it have gone or what could it have done? And then you just kind of like, in one month, no one's going to be thinking about this. You know, if you acted with integrity and you did the best you can. No one's probably thinking about it already. Exactly. (laughs) Especially when it's something very personal. Probably no one else has even noticed. Yeah. Yeah. And the things that people do think about a month later, there's always opportunity for more conversations and growth. So there's, it's always like the door's always open for change. You know, so, um, yes. Okay. Well, I loved this conversation. I want to go out and get myself and you a lobster necklace now, like a little necklace. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my gosh. If you ever find one, let me know. I'm going to send it to you, a little lobster shell. That's an amazing analogy. Well, thank you so much, Francis. And we will link everything in the show notes, how people can find you and Abel and um and everything. So I'm so grateful for you. I love the the fragrance. I use it in my home. I use it on myself. I do not leave my my home without it. So uh, we'll link everything. And thank you so much for taking the time. It was so great to chat with you. Thank you so much for your time and for welcoming us into your community. It's a real honor. Of course. Take care. If you like this episode, share it with someone else who you think would love it too. And if you want to explore the topics we discuss even further, head over to Benshin.co to check out our current courses, workshops, and upcoming events. And I'll be back next time to discuss more things that I'm so honestly into on Benshin Talks Shit. Mm-hmm.